0: Well, hey, we're so glad to have you on the show. Let me tur- let's turn the corner a little bit and kind of to get us back into Genesis. So, um, Jim, you're you're focused on teaching Genesis 12 through 24. That's right. So as we think of those chapters, here's my question. that Where do we see Jesus show up?
1: uh well it's a great question for it's first of all it's the right question for reading the old testament because i think sometimes you read the old testament and say well that was the old testament before christ and, and and if you want to read about jesus you look into the new testament but the whole thing soup to nuts a to z all the way through is all about jesus all the time so um there are a couple places i think i'm not sure where this is getting at greg where you might say the pre-incarnate christ literally uh shows up um And um, so, for example, when I'm looking for the chapter now, Abraham is sitting in his tent and three people show up. And then Abraham starts talking to the three people.
0: Genesis 18.
1: That's 18. Yeah. So uh, verse two, when he lifted up his eyes and look, behold, three men were standing opposite him. Mm -hmm. And when he saw them, he ran to the tent door and he said, my Lord. And then uh, later they're talking to them. They, They start out being three people, but. He talks to them in the in this in the singular voice later on, as if they're one person, and they're responding as one person. So um, I'm reading uh I'm actually reading a Jewish commentary on the on Genesis now. Um and they say, well, that's just, you know, when he switches to the singular person, it's really the he's referred to one of the three as responding and talking. But as Christians, we look at this and say, This sounds an awful lot like the Trinity. The three and one, one and three, three come. And then Abraham. So, for example, they're talking about the child to come. And um, uh, in verse 16, the, the men rose from there. That's plural. And then verse 17, the Lord said, singular, uh, as if one voice, this is really the, the Holy Trinity, get three and one, one and three. Mm-hmm. So, that's, Dude, that's one place. And then, but um, I don't think you're thinking something else, Greg. Two, two
2: observations, two things that are unique. I always love in scripture where it talks about looking up. So it's reverence, it's awe. It says they looked up and saw these three men. And I think it's important to realize that Abraham was covered in a tent. So there's implications as to what that tent may represent. The covering of the tent.
1: You mean like the human physical body or what do you... Jesus,
2: the covering. He's seeing something divine in these three individuals.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. He definitely sees it as a divine. Right away in verse 3 he says, My Lord, if I found favor in your sight... Um, and, um, you know, he, uh, quickly has Sarah prepare three cakes and, and, and um, he really addresses those three, individuals. he gets it right away. It doesn't take a while to realize, wait a second, you're not just three guys in the desert. you you know, does isn't dawn on him slowly. He right away knows it's the Lord.
0: Yeah. Well, that, I, that's an, that's an, that, that's exactly what I'm, I'm asking is just these, these different instances. So the, these could be three angels, or it could be two angels in the pre-incarnate Christ, or it could be somehow a manifestation of the Trinity um I don't know what do you guys I, think
1: uh, it the other, the, the other alternative you mentioned two angels in the pre-incarnate Christ could be another interpretation as well because two of them go down to Sodom the next day um and that could be where uh, Jesus stays the pre-incarnate Christ stays behind and the two angels go forward to Sodom so um.
0: I guess that's if I was the you know that's that's where I feel like I would land. Uh that that makes the most sense to me. But it is interesting to think about these other these other theories. Um but do you and do you any other chapters any anything else come to mind? I know last time on the podcast we talked about Genesis 15 where God made a covenant with Abraham. Yeah. And uh he didn't ask Abraham to walk through to make the covenant he didn't he he went through the covenant uh or he yeah i mean so and that's pretty pretty amazing um but there was no like physical manif- manifestation but it was you know god making it very clear to abraham that uh this was a covenant this was his covenant yeah um, that's
1: yeah well yeah and that yeah that's the beauty of the, that's the beauty of the Trinity right that God himself is passing through those pieces that we talked about last time in Genesis fifteen saying i you will you will fail in this covenant but I will pay the price and if you say if you say it, the Trinity explains that you say God himself is the just and the justifier like it says in Romans God himself is the judge and the one who's also the justifier paying the price for you well so how God is not if you say Jesus Christ was a created being that God created. So he's the son of God, but not God. He's a created being. And you say God created a being and sacrificed his son, right? And um, that was tough on God. But that's not God himself paying the price. That's God creating a being and paying the price. And Genesis 15 makes more sense if you say God says, I am passing through. God himself is passing through the pieces and paying the price. is because God, in the form of Jesus, as part of the Trinity, is the one to pay for the price, or pay the price for our sins on the cross. It, there's yeah. another spot, too, by the way. I'm sorry, Greg, what were we saying? No, yourself? go for it. Well, in uh, Hagar, when Hagar's in the desert, uh, I think this this is chapter 16. I think this is actually the first instance of the angel of the Lord, quote unquote, in the Old Testament, uh, 16, verse 11, when she's running away. So for our listeners who might not be familiar with the story. Abraham and Sarah, Abraham's been promised he's going to have a child and God's going to build a great nation. God shows up several times. That's the point of the Genesis 15 we talked about in the last podcast when God says, no, really, I'm going to do this. And Abraham says, how will I know? Okay, so Abraham's kind of doubting. They get older and older, past really the age of naturally bearing children. And God's so promising, I'm going to build a great nation. They start to doubt. They take matters into their own hands. And Sarah says, here, take my maidservant, Hagar, and sleep with her. And I'll get a child because I own the maidservant. I'll own the child too and then i'll have an heir that way and rather than trusting the lord they kind of take matters in their own hands and do it that way which i guess was not actually an uncommon practice in that time so they didn't invent that idea but nevertheless they did it and that was not god's plan but they did it anyway and sure enough hagar the servant gets pregnant and then sarah's really upset and so uh this just shows you again that these the point of these stories in the old testament is not that these people are models of behavior for us to follow they are recipients of free grace, as messed up as they are. And so i might look at that and say, see what practice they did. Look at that. They She gave she gave the maidservant to her husband to sleep with what the, you call these people great people. How is that an example to follow? It's not an example to follow. And in fact, by doing that cultural practice at the time, it wreaks havoc in their lives. And you can see <laughs> the, the, the destruction of the human relationships because Sarah gets all mad at Abram and says you know, you did this and, and and now she's pregnant and she gets mad at Hagar and sends, and it's, it's awful. Just a disaster. So Hagar runs away. She's in the wilderness. And in verse 11, the angel of the Lord comes to her and comforts her, says some beautiful words about the son to be born. And then in 13, and this, I think this is really beautiful. Uh, Hagar says, then she called the name, the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God who sees she said have i even remained alive here after seeing him that she wouldn't have said that it was just an angel like the, the the general thought at the time was if i see god i'm not going to be able to live no one can see god and live not no one can see an angel and live no one can see god and live so she had a very clear sense that the angel of the lord she was interacting with was deity was god himself and then but but the hebrew here she's saying is that this is a God who sees that. It says, you are a God who sees me. You see me. And it's not so much that I saw you and then I, I die. Because she, she does say that, like, I can't believe I stayed alive having this interaction. Um, but in right in verse 13, you are a God who sees me. Um, and later there are verses in Genesis, where maybe we'll get to the talk about, you're a God who hears me. But this notion of, like, you see me. You know when I lay down. You know when I rise up. You know my going out, my coming in. You know me from afar. She, it's it, she has that sense, that she knows God is seeing her all the time. And it's 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 beautiful, and it gives us all as, as Christians a lot of hope. Amen. Yeah, that's so I great. think that's one instance of the preincarnate Christ right there.
0: That's great. And then jumping back to Genesis eighteen, I love this where Abraham's negotiating with God. Yeah. uh to try to save um lot and his family <laughs> um kind you of know, funny. If there's if there's 45 people there you know w- would you would you destroy it if there's 45 righteous people there? No, I won't destroy it Well what if there's only 40 and then he goes all the way down to to 10 and I think the implication is that he he's basically like wants to go down to if there's just one righteous person, and I think the answer is no. There's not one righteous person. There's nobody there that's righteous. Um, Good point. But but God will listens to his prayer and spares his his family. I don't know. Hey, you guys have any comments on that story? That's pretty interesting.
1: Louis, what do you think? Any thoughts on that? well specifically what he asked me about it directly i mean
2: inevitably yes i mean christ is the only one that's righteous so inevitably if there was but one you know he would have foregone but um i'm grateful because of his love and his mercy and abraham's obedience and pleading the god that god is gracious and he he shows grace towards lot mm.
0: yeah which yeah, actually, now, now that I remember, I remember um, Tim Keller talked about this. And it, if you if you read the progression of this, you know, like verse starting verse 32, he's like, may the Lord not be angry, but let me just speak one more. What if only 10 are be found there? And he answered, for the sake of the 10, I will not destroy it. But then verse 33, it says, when the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left and Abraham returned home. It's as if Abraham knew he... There was no righteous, no one righteous there. Like, and so he kind of he kind of gave up and just left it in God's hands at that point because he he wanted he couldn't go any. For, you know what I mean? Yeah, um, yeah. And it I don't, I don't know if that's the right in, interpretation of it, but we definitely know that. Um, you know, Lot may have been a great guy, but he was not a righteous. You know, perfectly righteous man. No, um, well, I'm
2: stop and imagine during that whole progression from fifty to forty down to ten, the conviction that Abraham must have felt in his pleading, knowing that he himself was a sinner.
1: Yeah, there is yeah. a New Testament passage I can't find it now where Paul—I think it's Paul—writing he says like that Lot was that righteous man tormented by being in that sinful city. So some description of is the like righteous man, but in, in in reality, we all know that there's no unrighteous, no, not one. I mean, we all, all sin to fall short of the glory of God. Yeah, so, because
0: look at what Lot does with his daughters. Yeah, the
1: the lot, that well, we can get to that passage, but Lot's not really like, the, the point <laughs> of the passage is not like, oh, and that awful lot for what he did. It's like the daughters do this, and it's not like there's a moral accountability on Lot's part, even in that story. We'll get to that in a second. Um, But this one is, so that's this is a long passage of Scripture with his bargaining with God. If you think about what it took to write things on scrolls and maintain language in that day and age, it's a large volume of words and this whole bargaining with God. And it's a real appeal to God's justice, right? You know, look at verse 25, far be it from you. Shall not the judge of the earth deal justly? Like how could you look at 25, far be from you to do such a thing, slay the righteous with the wicked so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. Oh, so for our listeners who haven't read this, the, the, the background here is that God wants to destroy the city, and uh, Abraham knows his nephew Lot is living in the city. That's the bargain we've been talking about. He wants to uh, have talk God out of it and have God like spare the city for the sake of righteous. And he starts with a big number: would you would you destroy the city if there are fifty righteous people there? Well, God says no, not if they're fifty. And that's what we've been talking about: the bargaining down to ten. Um, but what doesn't work at the end because all this bargaining. God does destroy the city. So they get, they get down to a unit of 10, which I did read was like a, the smallest unit of like social structure in Israel at the time for some reason. Whatever that means. So they, they get there, phrase, they get to 10 and stop. Lot's family wasn't 10 strong. There weren't there weren't 10 people in the family. And at the end, in the next chapter when uh, the city is destroyed, Lot is spared out of the city, but the city isn't spared for the sake of Lot and his small family. So the bargaining doesn't actually resolve the way Abraham wants it to be resolved. Like, spare the city for my sake, of lot. Like, okay, well, we'll take care of Lot, but we're still going to destroy the city,
0: right? Right. Um, and then his wife looks back and turns yeah. into a pillar of salt. Yeah. Um. I mean, the the funny thing about Genesis is it's really it's really messy, right? It's it's yeah. there. You see so much, so many flaws, and and the people's lives, but then you just see the hand of God and his grace yeah um yeah so he'd
1: uh, offering up his daughters in the next chapter and then um
0: after he was after the lord saved him from that he it's like why did he why did he do that with his daughters couldn't he trust god that he, god would protect them
1: i don't know i don't know it's 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 just a um we look at that as so morally abhorrent i think part of the it's the, the culture of hospitality like i've got to take care of my guests so th- this is a case where the whole town is kind of crowded around the house and they want to like it's almost i hate to say this in company but they want to uh, assault the two visitors and so a lot of trying to protect the two visitors which are two angels um and say uh and so he instead he says here have my daughters he's gonna offer his daughters to the crowd it's just a, a deplorable and it and it's there's not a it's not like he's a that's a good thing or it's not it's not it's it's a morally abhorrent thing right um, and actually one of the commentaries read right, said so then later the, the when so let's fast forward this episode we both hinted that later when um, they are rescued rescued from the city and they're all alone they escaped a little town called Zor um and when they're rescued out of the city they don't even march go out of the city the angels have to grab them by the hand and pull them out. They pull out Lot, his wife, the two daughters. The Lot has sons. Lot has a couple other daughters that are and sons-in-laws. The son he's trying to warn the sons-in law. They laugh at him. They think he's joking. But even Lot hesitates. He's not that great. He hesitates. He doesn't listen to them. They grab him and yank him out of the city. And then Lot starts complaining. I don't want to walk that far to the mountains. Can't we just stop at this little town called Zor? They stop at Zor, and then he says, I didn't feel safe there. And then, then Lot leaves. And then the daughters think we're the last humans alive on earth. Uh, to to keep the race going, we need to sleep with our father. They get him drunk one at a time. And they sleep with the father. All kinds of moral, uh, uh, morally abhorrent things happening here. If you were looking at these as like these are like examples to follow, I could see Lou. You were talking before about you're trying to read the scripture as a new Christian or in your early walk and looking at some of this stuff. You could say, what on earth does this mean? Like, what is it? What am I supposed to take away? Like. I don't, you know, well, I would sense. say
2: they're excellent examples of what not to do. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So in this situation, this mirrors what Abraham and Sarah chose to do in regards to the two daughters. It's it's we as a man taking things in our own hands. It's us trying to create, create an ending point or a paradigm instead of just trusting the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's mm. when we take things in our own hands we try to design a way or a path instead of just being still and trusting the Lord things unfortunately just come out terribly sideways.
0: That's right. Let's uh, let's jump forward. So then Abraham God does give Abraham a son uh yep. through Sarah and na- named Isaac which means laughter and uh but then in Genesis 22 it's again one of these crazy things. Like, what is what is happening here? It just seems so. It just doesn't make sense because God promised Abraham the son, and then finally, miraculously, he gets the son. And then at the beginning of Genesis 22, God tests Abraham, and basically. It's like every phrase of God's command to Abraham was like a knife. He says, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, which, by the way, that's the first time the word love is mentioned in the Bible.
1: Is that right?
0: That's what I that's what I that's what I read. Wow. Genesis
1: 22, verse two.
0: Wow. Whom I'm, you love, offer him there. As a burnt offering, I mean, every one of those phrases is like a knife, and so uh, it's it's one of the most fascinating chapters of the Bible. But isn't that interesting? It's the first time the word love is mentioned, is in Genesis twenty-two, and then <laughs> yeah. it's a foreshadow, right, of 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 John three sixteen for God so loved the world, he gave his only son. that so whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. But like, because um, eventually God was going to do the same thing with his own son. Um, although, you know, um, God didn't ask Abraham to actually go through with it. He provided a way of escape. You know, he provided a, at the very last second. And and actually the New Testament commentary on this whole scene is that Abraham did sacrifice Isaac. It was like in his heart he 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 was willing to do what God asked him to do. And so in a sense he did. Although at the last second God stops him and you know provides a a, a ram to sacrifice. It's a it's a powerful what what are you guys what are you get what are your thoughts on this chapter?
1: Well, uh, we I think you're referencing Tim Keller earlier because he has a great sermon on this too. And I'm mean, trying to I haven't listened to it in a while. I'm just read bits and pieces. But one of the um, one of the major points of it, the kind of the punchline of it, is that um, God says, "Take your son, your only son, whom you love." Um, And sacrifice him. And then God, of course, uh, stops with the last minute. So Abraham does not sacrifice uh, the son. Uh, But now, uh, so so, uh, God can say to Abraham, now I know that you love me because you did not withhold your son, your only son, whom you love from me. So that we as Christians can look to our father and we say, now we know, Lord God, that you love me because you, our heavenly father, did not withhold your son, your only son, whom you love from us and sacrificed him for us right that's how that's how we can know so um so the the main
2: term that you guys use was love and scripture is clear it says to us that we show god our love by obeying his commandments
1: mm-hmm.
2: and if i had to come up with a word in regards to chapter 22 it would be love and i I'd probably love or obedience so Again, we had had mentioned earlier in Isaiah chapter six, the verse, you know, and Isaiah heard the voice of the Lord and he said, whom shall I send? And Isaiah said, here I am, Lord. And the chapter begins and it's mentioned three times, this progression. God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love and go to the land of Moriah. And then later you see that the son speaks to the father. And Isaac said to to his father, Abraham, my father, and he said, here I am, son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for him the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they both, they went both of them together. And again, that's, that's Abraham's faith. There's the belief, God will provide, and then it, it presents itself a third time. And it says, but the angel of the Lord called him from heaven, said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes. Again, here's the lifting of his eyes. He lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. And to me, that's the that is the uh the changing of the that's where he takes our place. That's a manifestation of Christ in the Ram.
0: Yeah,
1: the yeah. Ram takes Isaac's place, right?
0: Well, how as about this? As
1: substitute as his
0: substitute. How about this thought? Have you ever thought about Isaac? Isaac's life is like a picture of Jesus. Amen. Because both of them were loved by their father. Both of them offered themselves willingly because Isaac did offer himself willingly when he realized he didn't try to run away. Both of them carried wood up the hill of their sacrifice. Yeah. Jesus carried the cross. Both were sacrificed on the same hill. That actually Mount Moriah is actually where the dome of the rock is. It, it's on the Temple Mount. The Dome of the Rock is built on top of Mount Moriah, which exactly. is where this event occurred. Um, so they were sacrificed on the same hill, and both were delivered from death on the third day. That's pretty interesting. Oh, yeah, verse 4,
2: that. on the third day, you're right. That's right, the third day.
0: So Isaac is a picture of Jesus amen absolutely i think that's pretty cool
1: there's one other thing you Lou. you're talking about obedience and abraham's obedience and i think uh, as i recall keller points this out in his sermon on this um abraham had been waiting all these years like what he's 99 when isaac's born so finally he gets the son and and so one one question is: This sounds, you know, if you're a if non-Christian reading this, you read this and say, "Gosh, it sounds kind of like God. Why would God ask for a human sacrifice?" It's one thing Abraham. Abraham, for all the bargaining he did for Lot in that previous chapter, is remarkably obedient. Louis, when you are pointing out all the "Here I am" statements, "Here I am," God's, you know, he says, "Here I am." God says, "Take your son," and Abraham just goes and does it. He doesn't start bargaining. And uh, for all the bargaining he did for 20 verses and, and a few chapters ago for Lot's sake, he doesn't do anything for Isaac's sake. He says, "Okay." And he, right away he goes, he's obedient. But the, the question, if you read, it sounds strange, but God would even ask for human sacrifice. One explanation is that um, Isaac was so likely to become an idol in Abraham's life. He had been mm-hmm. waiting so long for a son. The promise his whole life is going to be built around there's going to be a great nation to come through this son. This Finally, he's here. 13 is kind of like, you know, uh, come to uh, starting into manhood and like you put so many hopes and dreams in the son. Like he could see this, god saying you know this is this is so likely to be an idol in your life so there's a minor subtext for us that i think a lesson for us like uh the, the sometimes has-
0: the answer yeah like the blessings the blessings of god yeah sometimes become more important than god himself and when that happens that is um you know i think john piper has a book called god is the gospel and he brings up this point a lot that But what we often will do is take God's blessings and we make them more important than God himself. And that's we're in big trouble. I mean, it's it's, sometimes it's not the bad things that get us in trouble or or get us off track. It's the good things that become ultimate things.
1: So many times you say, God, why are you putting me through this? Why are you taking this? You think of example after example, we like, Yeah, it's because something in your life is becoming an idol, and God's kicking that out from under you. God's trying to get rid of that in your life, but that's why it's painful. That's why, I'm like, why, why did I lose this job, or why did I lose this thing? Or it's because it, not always there's lots of trials and there's lots of difficulty in life, so I don't want to make light of any of that. Um, but a lot of the ones that really sting, it, the reason it's stinging is because it was turning into an idol. So, so I want to um, make one,
0: I want to. Oh, right. real quick, real quick, and then I'll let you go, Louie. Um, I want to get backtracked to where I talked about the word love. The first time it's mentioned is here in this in this passage. Isn't it interesting that the first mention of love is in the context of love between a father and a son? Oh, yeah. And it's connected with the idea of a sacrificial offering of a son. Isn't that yeah. interesting that they, that that's the first time it's mentioned that just points right to Jesus.
1: It's a great thought, Craig.
0: Louis, what did you want to share?
2: Well, when you just shared that, the verse, there's no le- no greater love than this, than a friend who's willing to lay down his life for another. Love is sacrificial. So um, I was just going to point out Romans. It talks about the dangers of uh, elevating the created things, the creature over the creator. And inevitably, the blessing of the son, Isaac, you know, it's, it's, it's a gift from the, the gift giver. You know, and I think sometimes we lose sight of, I, you're 100% right, Greg, you know, the finite things and the things of the world when we start to look sideways instead of looking up. You know, our dependence is, is upon Christ, he's the pinnacle, and even to love our children in a fashion worthy of his calling it would be impossible to do that in a righteous na- nature absolute holy spirit and his empowering so there's that hierarchy and that design that he's created and there's an order of design and a purpose
1: and it's it's rooted in love and that reminds me of something uh aristotle that's aristotle um <laughs>
0: <laughs> aristotle
1: saint augustine they both start with an a so yep um but the the whole thing one of the keys to Christianity is getting your loves in the right order. Our problem is not so much that we do the wrong things, though we do do the wrong things. Our disordered is we loves. Love things. We, yes, we love the wrong things. We have disordered loves, right? And got to get your loves in the right order. So maybe that's what God was, why God was working on Abraham's heart.
0: So I'm expecting when you teach us, Jim, that you're going to bring out the fact that this is the first time the word love is mentioned. I
1: will dutifully mention it in it. <laughs> in,
0: in the Bible, and it's in the context of a father love love for his son, sacrificial love for his son.
1: Yes, I'll say as my good friend Greg Bryan pointed out to me in our podcast.
0: <laughs> well, for credit. Why don't we start to wrap this up? So at the end of chapter 22, not the very end, but like kind of towards the end, verses 15 to 18 um, it says the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself declares the Lord that because you've done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. And as the sand on the sand, sand shore, seashore, um, your descendants will take possession of cities, the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. That's that's kind of a neat, um, I, I don't know what you would call it, like, uh, I guess the end of the story of like, you know, God, he was obedient. Abraham was, I mean, must have been agonizing for Abraham those three days. Um, I don't think he was joyfully, um, you know, I don't think this was a joyful time for him. I think he was probably going through a lot of agony, but in the end, you know, God just reaffirms, Hey, because you've done this, I'm going to bless you. And in fact, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed because you've obeyed me. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's powerful. Um. So any final thoughts guys that you want to make?
1: No, it's just a uh, like we start off saying. It's amazing to see the whole story, the the thread that goes through the whole story is all is, about, is Jesus. It's all about Jesus, right? Every page.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 pretty pretty awesome. So we, you know, part of your story, Louis, you were sharing your testimony at the beginning of this this episode. And uh, you're talking about all the things you were not addicted to. That you were not addicted to, you know, uh, carbonated drinks and cigarettes or drink. Anyway, we call this the gospel addicts podcast. So um, we are creatures, you know, I think we're all addicts. I think by our, our, our hearts in our hearts, every human being is addicted to something, and uh, we call most, this a gospel most of the gospel addict.
2: Multiple times, multiple things.
0: Right. A lot of times, it's multiple things, but we call this the gospel addict because we think that the the most pure addiction is to be addicted to the good news about Jesus and how it it's it doesn't just bring us to Christ for our salvation, but it's what grows us. It's it's the key to our our spiritual growth and um, and, and and life change. So um, yeah, and you guys, any 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 comments you want to make about that in closing?
2: Well, um, so we're commanded by God, we're we're to wake with the word, uh, we're to end our day in the word. We're supposed to pray without ceasing, and we're also commanded by Almighty God to whatever is honorable, good, and what's just. Those are the things we're supposed to focus upon, so we do tend to obsess, if you will, or focus on things, and um, again, we have the ability. We can cry out to the Lord, and we can ask him. There's a renewing of our heart. He gives us a new heart. He renews our mind. And uh, let us have the mind of Christ. And uh, uh, salvation, we're sealed, but sanctification begins. And uh, my hope and my prayer is that uh, through his spirit, I'll continue to keep my eyes and gaze fixed upon him, all that's lovely, all that's good. Thanks
1: for listening to this episode of the Gospel Addict Podcast. Feel free to contact us via email at gospeladdictpodcast at gmail.com.
0: Stay tuned for our next episode, and remember, on your worst days, you're never beyond the reach of God's grace, and on your best days, you're never beyond the need of God's grace.
1: See you next time.